0: The last page has been turned on my most recent read, and I'm currently enjoying a perfectly brewed cup of tea that is staying steamy hot on the mug warmer I purchased this week. If you're sick of drinking the dregs of a cold cup of anything, like I am, then this is the way to go, and this is not an ad, honestly. Anyway, it's 2023, and with that begins a new season of being bookish. Happy New Year, everyone! I'm not sure how it happened but that season is in fact number six. If you've stuck with me and still love listening then thank you so much for supporting me. If you're new and you've just started listening then welcome and I hope you stick around. I wanted something special to kick off the new year and the new season. And then I saw some news from August last year and a related article in some newspaper or other that was released just last week, and it got me thinking. Right now, I'm ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled, as always, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. I don't think I'm ever going to grow tired of saying that. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Welcome to Season 6. The one where I realise that I am truly in the podcasting game for the long haul. It's only taken two years. I have started to plan out how I would like to see the season go, books I want to cover, other things I want to do. Are you reading the Book Club book yet? Remember, it's Circe by Madeline Miller. This week, I am looking at a book from the late 80s by an author who is known by many as the Queen of the British Bonk Buster. She loves her horses and has written multiple books based in that world. Her dedication pages are taken up with thanks to politicians, celebrities, athletes and musicians who have helped her with her research. And apart from a few books that were classified as romances early in her career, she's best known for creating the blonde and incredibly beautiful playboy MP Rupert Campbell Black. Yes, I spent my weekend reading a Jilly Cooper novel. I hesitated about reviewing this because I do try to keep my episodes something you can listen to in the car when you're doing a school run, if that's how you listen, of course. Then I remembered that while this particular book in Cooper's Rutger Chronicles has a lot of bedromantics in it, as they all do, the core of the story is actually rather tame in comparison to others in the series. I spent time looking at my bookcase, staring actually, and then remembered that my hardcover copy of Rivals was so old that the sleeve had bitten the bullet around a decade ago. Check out my Instagram to see my rather nondescript copy if you're curious. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session or if your weather is anything like mine today you'll actually need it to see the words on the page. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference of course there's no judgment here and let's get started. One of the glorious Rutscher Chronicles. Into the cutthroat world of Corinium television comes Declan O'Hara, a megastar of great glamour and integrity with a radiant, feckless wife, a handsome son and two ravishing teenage daughters. Living rather too closely across the valley is Rupert Campbell Black, divorced and as dissolute as ever, and now the Tory minister for sport, Declan needs only a few days at Corinium to realise that the managing director, Lord Baddingham, is a crook who has recruited him merely to help retain the franchise for Corinium. Baddingham has also enticed Cameron Cook, a gorgeous but domineering woman executive, to produce Declan's programme. Declan and Cameron detest each other, provoking a storm of controversy into which Rupert plunges with his usual abandon. As a rival group emerges to pitch for the franchise, reputations ripen and decline. True love blossoms and burns, marriages are made and shattered, and sex raises its delicious head at almost every throw, as in bed and boardroom the race is on to capture the Cotswold crown. The Rutshire Chronicles is a series of ten books, at the moment, with the most recent having been released in 2016. Rivals is the second in the series, released in 1988, and where riders introduced Rupert Campbell Black as a wealthy Olympic show jumper who had ambitions to sleep with as many women as possible, despite having a wife and children at home. This book is his redemption arc. Apparently, it gets ruined in book 10, but I never read that far. One thing I noticed as I read through the book for the first time in probably 15 years, though it's moved with me from house to house since I spent my hard-earned babysitting money on it all the way back in 88, is that it's definitely a book of its time. There are many mentions of AIDS, which, is, which was at the time something people knew very little about, and it's certainly incredib- incredibly lacking in tact. The book offers a look at society in the 1980s, and when I say society here, I'm referring to wealthy society, not the people who do the everyday jobs. The air above, Cochester, the enclave in which the book is based, smells of £1,000 an ounce perfume and the most expensive champagne. So let's take a look at this story. Sorry, I will be cutting out the most salacious parts, though some of them are somewhat amusing and admittedly did give me a giggle, though I'm sure they probably weren't meant to. Let me just say before I turn the PG switch on fully that the women are frequently described using animal similes when in passionate situations, with one apparently like an electric eel and another shaking like an eager whippet. Yes, this is the sort of purple prose that was incredibly popular in the 1980s, especially if you picked up a book by Jilly Cooper or Jackie Collins. The core of the plot is, of course, an intense battle for a TV franchise in the Cotswolds, apparently desperately sought after by the current incumbent, the rather detestable and vicious Sir Tony Baddingham, and another consortium led by Rupert Campbell Black and the intense, intelligent and much sought over Declan O'Hara. However, the story doesn't start there. It starts with Tony as he hears busy acquiring new and highly desired staff for his franchise, which is producing high-quality content. First on his list is Cameron Cook, an ambitious and driven American woman who is drawn to Cotswold by Tony's promise to leave his wife and give Cameron free reign with the network's drama output. Next, he manages to woo Declan O'Hara into the area, O'Hara has been working at the Beeb for many years, a controversial interviewer who wants more freedom to produce content that makes people gasp in shock rather than groan when the same questions are asked over and over again. It's only when O'Hara joins the franchise and brings his family to Cochester that the cracks start to show in Baddingham's TV empire. Declan is married to a beautiful ex-actress, Maud, who, unlike her husband, thinks nothing of having a couple of indiscreet peccadillos. She needs to be admired and adored, and when she feels her husband isn't paying her enough attention, she looks elsewhere. Their three children couldn't be more different. Patrick is a clone of his father in looks, but even more talented. He's away at university in Ireland for the majority of the book, But when he is present, he knows what he wants and goes out to get it, uncaring of the consequences. Agatha is the middle child, known as Taggy by pretty much everyone. She is the household general dog's body, caring for all of her family, emotional, kind, and just generally a beautifully nice person. She is also severely dyslexic, and while this does sometimes make her a target for people who want to take advantage of her kind nature... She is always there to help anyone who needs her. At 19, she's lived a somewhat sheltered life, but that doesn't stop her mother, especially, from being jealous of the effect she has on people, because not only is she incredibly kind, she is also very beautiful. Catelyn is probably the brightest of the O'Hara children, and oh boy, does she know it. She loves her family to bits, but she can see their faults and calls them out when she feels like it. She's away at private school most of the time, but when she's at home, she likes to cause a bit of a stir, whether it's starting a fling with Tony Baddingham's son Archie or dyeing her hair bright pink. Yeah, those are the kind of extremes we're looking at with Catelyn. The moment that the O'Haras move into the Priory, just across from Penscombe Court, where Rupert lives with his dogs, horses and housekeepers, it's only a matter of time before something happens. The majority of the story is about the backstabbing that goes on when two very competitive companies go into battle for the same business, in this case, a TV franchise. But strip away all of that and look at the underlying plot. What you have is a rake of epic proportions, struggling not to fall in love with a girl much too young for him. Yes, this book is when you strip away the business and the smut, a redemption arc for Rupert Campbell Black, and him fighting against his feelings for Taggy O'Hara. Sure, if you look at the story as a whole, there's a lot of adultery, a lot of questionable behaviour from all sides, and some particularly horrific bullying. So bad that all the way through my script, I was writing Sir Tony Bullingham rather than Baddingham. And in one instance, there is a violent attack that leads to one of the characters fleeing for her life after her collusion with the enemy is revealed. But if you do strip all that away, you have Rupert Campbell Black slowly and surely falling in love with a girl he knows he is not only too old for, he is almost 38 and she's just turned 19, he is also not good enough for her. His past, as revealed in a biography that is leaked to the press as part of a a revenge plot, shows him to be an immoral and unscrupulous person who doesn't care who gets hurt as long as he can get his end away. I did say redemption arc though, and while there is still plenty of evidence in Rivals that Rupert will still do anything to get what he wants, there are also moments where he does things for people just because he can. Declan and his family are incredibly bad at managing money and while he has a wife who spends money without any awareness of what's in the family kitty, a son at university and a daughter at private school, the only money coming in is his salary and Taggy's and they are struggling badly. When Taggy reveals that the family has a lot of debt, Rupert buys a plot of land from Declan that is no use to man nor beast just because he can. He also buys her little gifts, a stunning necklace, a Fabergé egg, though she has no idea what it is in her defence, and a rambunctious puppy she calls Claudius. He helps her when she's struggling with her reading and is even reading books on helping people with learning difficulties, much to the amusement and frustration of his current lover. Of course, it's not all wine and roses, when is it ever? Maud is infuriated that Rupert is interested in her daughter Taggy and wants him off, as does Declan. And initially, there is a great deal of antagonism between the pair when Taggy walks in on him and his mistress of the moment playing naked tennis because she noticed that his fields were on fire. To use a phrase from Gilly herself, Rupert is positively beastly. Rupert, being Rupert, doesn't like the idea of being vulnerable, and after being told so many times that he needs to stay away from Taggy, breaks her heart when he walks away. But given that there are eight more books, and they are the star couple in a few of them, you just know that they are, at least for 20 years, happily ever after, together. To a point. But what about the franchise and the other characters in the book, of which there are... In my view, far too many. Well, you'll have to read for yourself to find out. Rivals is the second book in the Rutscher Chronicles, though I am not sure how many were intended. The first book, Riders, was released in 1985, though if Jilly Cooper hadn't lost her original manuscript, it would have been released much earlier. Anyway, since that point, there have been a further eight books, with Mount being the most recent. Are there going to be more? Who knows? Though the saying sex sells is certainly proved when it comes to this series. The funny thing about this series is that it is the reason why I purchased my first Kindle. Back in 2010, I was living in a flat with very limited storage space and I had run out of room for more books. I had two shelves and they were stacked full because I was currently studying, or at that moment I was studying for my English degree. And the latest Rutcher Chronicles book had just been released. It was Jump. I had wanted it, but I knew that there was literally no room for any more books. Not even a thin one. And at almost 800 pages, this book was definitely not small. So I invested in a Kindle and the rest is history. I am now on Kindle number four. Not because they keep on breaking, but because I need more storage space and the screens fade after a while, especially with the Kindle fire. And the batteries start to get really bad with charging. Just a little tip. Don't keep it plugged in on charge when you're reading it because it just kills the battery as it does on a phone and everything else to be fair anyway on with the reviews as you know I do like to provide a balanced perspective when it comes to the books I look at and while my opinion will be what it is taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help anybody decide whether they want to read a book though it shouldn't be the only deciding factor at least I don't think so So, before I give you my review, what did others think of Jilly Cooper's Rivals? Let me say, though, before I get started, that there were only three one-star reviews of Rivals. One was a DNF, and two were referring specifically to the highly edited American edition, which is marketed as players, which doesn't make much sense when you consider the main plot of the novel. Lisa wasn't hugely impressed with this novel and gave it just two stars, saying, Rereading Rivals immediately after rereading Riders, I was reminded of the crushing disappointment I felt when I first read it. The thrilling world of show jumping is completely abandoned. Favorite characters from Riders barely even get a mention Fenn, Tori, etc. Others experience complete personality changes. Rupert, and I was so sad that Billy seems to have lapsed back into alcoholism. Why, Jilly, why? On top of that, the story is often unbelievable. There are far too many characters, a lot of the attempts to write vernacular dialogue are cringe-inducingly bad, and the frequent puns and witticisms seem clunky. Despite all this, I did continue to read the Rutger Chronicles books, growing increasingly frustrated with them over time. On reflection, I think Rivals was the beginning of a long and tragic decline in Ms. Cooper's books. For books that are consistent bestsellers, it's actually rather difficult to find reviews rather than just star ratings, especially for the older novels in the series. I have to admit that this is an issue I have discovered when it comes to many books that were released before the advent of the internet, unless we're talking true classics by authors such as Austen, Bronte and Dickens, for example. Rivals has a score of 4.18 on Goodreads, but only 4,764 ratings and just 137 written reviews. So let's see what a five-star review has to say if I can find one book blogbird gave the book five stars and her review gave me a good few chuckles because she's really not wrong at all following on a few years from where riders leaves off rivals throws us back into the saddle see what i did there in rutscher where rupert campbell black is now tory of course minister for sport Freshly divorced from Helen, he is literally shitting anything that comes within a 10-metre radius of his penis, and casually sticking two fingers up to his conquest husbands while he does it. New to Rutger is Declan O'Hara, an Irish talk show host with a gloriously shambolic wife and three teenage kids. Declan's been hired to be the star attraction at Carinium Television, but it soon becomes clear that he's only been hired to help Corinium keep the TV franchise. After a cataclysmic fallout, Declan storms off, only to be joined by other disgruntled Corinium staff, and, in a random turn of events, Rupert and Billy, once the true nature of Corinium's chief exec, comes to light. So what do a load of posho show-jumping types do when faced with such dastardly deeds, why they form their own consortium to pitch for the TV franchise, of course, because the transition from show-jumping to television production is the natural course of events. I'm being mean. I actually loved this book for many reasons, some of which being... It has red stilettos on the cover. Rupert Campbell Black falls in love, like actually in love. It's so 80s it should be a crime for me this was actually a better read than riders which spent far too long going on about the rules and regulations surrounding international show jumping whatever jilly cooper's writing is a lot tighter here and while rivals doesn't exactly break moulds it's a hilariously gripping read despite the fact that jilly cooper's books have the sort of covers that can really date a book and definitely define them as pure bonkbusters Yes, I love that description, Sue me. There is something to be said for the stunning amount of research she does for each one. I guess this is why there can be five years or more between each book. I have never forgotten, though, the expression on my mum's face when I started reading them. I borrowed riders from the library. It may have had a lot to do with the fact that I was only 14. Or it could be to do with the fact that she thinks the genre is one that has no value. She is a massive fan of Terry Pratchett, though obviously not back in the 80s. However, that's her interpretation, and everyone is different and entitled to their own view. So here are my views, completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like Rivals? I find that, as all the books in this series are pretty hefty, this one is the thinnest at just under 550 pages, I need to be in the right frame of mind to read them. I probably wouldn't have picked it up for another few years had it not been for a news item I saw when I was checking for news on Jeremy Renner's status this week. It appears that Disney has purchased the right to rivals and are making it into an eight-part miniseries. You heard me right, Disney has purchased the rights to this book. I can't help wondering how they are going to do this and make it into something that isn't going to have people crying out about the fact it's riddled with content that is both outdated and wholly unacceptable today. However, the article got me thinking, and that's why I searched the shelves for this book to read. Being honest... As I always am, this is by far my favourite book of the series, if only because we see Rupert Campbell Black finally showing a little bit of vulnerability. If you've read Riders, then you'll remember him as a heartless ass who stomped over the feelings of everyone. He was immoral, uncaring, and unscrupulous, and though he was desired by hundreds and slept with most of the women who threw themselves at him, he didn't have feelings for any of them. And this showed, including his unfortunate wife, Helen. In Rivals, he's mellowed a little. I'm not saying that he's completely changed, but he loves his children, especially his daughter Tabitha, who is scarily blunt like him, even at nine years old. He's brought low by his feelings for a girl who is everything he's not. And for me, that's the best bit of the book. Were there characters I couldn't stand? Absolutely, just as there were moments where I cringed and just knew that this would be the sort of book that would struggle to get published today. These books are 100% a product of the 1980s and the kitsch that goes into making them that really shows in pretty much every single line whether it's the blasé talk of sleeping with young teenage girls which wasn't acceptable back then but made headlines with Bill Wyman and a 15 year old Mandy Smith in the 1980s or the constant bed hopping or the fashion. I am an 80s girl at heart and while some of this was whoa, no way, I still devoured the entire book in one very long sitting and chuckled through bits that were familiar because I'm old enough that I remember the era well. What it all boils down to with this book, if I'm being honest, is that I love the purity of the love story between Rupert and Taggy, even when everything around them is pretty sordid. Strip back the smut, the business and the TV talk, and what you have is a very sweet but short love story that could be a 1980s Mills and Boone. Will I read more of the Rutcher Chronicles? I've actually read all but the last book of the series in the past, and given what I've heard about Mount, it's not actually one I want to read. As to reading them again now, probably not. I have most of them, whether on my Kindle or my bookshelves, But it's a very big time commitment that I don't have time for right now. And you really have to be in the right mood for them, which I'm not. I loved revisiting Cochester and Penscombe Court, but I think that this is where I will leave it for the time being. If you've read them recently, though, I would love to hear what you think. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these it's a massive claim, but I, th- I honestly believe if you loved the Russia Chronicles and Rivals, then you will love these books. There are actually so many authors I immediately think of when I start looking at the Bonk Buster. And of course, I have to recommend Riders and Polo and The Man Who Made Husbands Jealous in the same series. However, there are a number of authors who contributed to this gen- genre in the 1980s and I cannot leave them out. If you love sagas, then Barbara Taylor Bradford's series about Emma Hart, starting with A Woman of Substance and Hold the Dream, have to be books on your list. There are seven books in this series, with the most recent one having been released in 2009. They start with the story of Emma Hart, who builds an empire after being left pregnant and alone by the oldest son of the Fairley family. She used to work for them. The story spans many generations and starts in the early 19th century when Emma is a maid in the Fairley household. Judith Krantz is another author who loved writing a family saga. Famous for books like Princess Daisy and Scruples, she was the US queen of bunkbusters. My favourite by her remains I'll Take Manhattan. Princess Daisy, though spurned by critics the world over, netted the author a whopping $5 million before it was published. And when you consider this was in the 1980s, $5 million was a hefty, hefty amount to be paid for a book. No talk of smutty 80s books would be complete without mentioning Jackie Collins, though I have to be honest here and tell you I haven't actually read a single book by her. She lived for the controversial titles, which I'm not going to mention because that will immediately take my rating up. And is probably best known for books like Lucky, Hollywood Wives and The Stud. I know that people are probably going to expect me to recommend authors who are releasing books today. And I noticed in some reviews people were expecting the explicitness that they're accustomed to with books such as Fifty Shades of Grey and The Mister. If you want 80s smart, this is what you get. Unless, of course, you're looking for books such as The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty by Anne Rice, written under the name A.N. Baudelaire, which was released in 1983. So far, January has been a really good reading month. As I record this, it's the 8th of January and Rivals was book 7 of the month. I'm not going to fool myself into believing that I can continue at such a pace, especially considering the size of some of the books on my TBR, but I have been enjoying reading the ones I have read so far. My current count, as I've said, stands at 7 and I ended on 131 for 2022. I actually forgot a book that I'd read in December. I don't know what that says about the book, or maybe it was my memory, but I honestly had completely forgotten I'd read something. I have just one book due to arrive this month that was a pre-order, and then nothing in my sights for a few more months. I think the next book that I've got on pre-order comes out in April. But as I'm always asking for recommendations and occasionally get the urge to replenish my collection with something I previously had to pass on to a charity shop due to space restrictions, you never know. I actually got rid of so many books, unfortunately, in 2010 that I am always on the lookout for the books that I miss. As always, if there is anything on your TBR that you think I would really love, I am not averse to getting more books, so definitely pass your recommendations on to me, please. Seriously, send them. You can send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check your recommendations out. here is normally the point where I start to talk about the books that are going to be coming out in the next few days but I'm going to be changing things up with the start of season six so if you're looking for new book recommendations and releases sign up to my newsletter which is getting a massive overhaul this month you can find the sign up on my website and it's really easy just put your email address in the box and click submit You will have noticed that the button is no longer available on my Twitter profile. Unfortunately, the company that I was using has decided to shut its doors this month. So I've been moving everything over to another site where I'll be setting up new templates and making everything look really smart. So keep an eye out for the first newsletter really soon. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being and on Instagram at beingbookishpod or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is calling me as it always is. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.